Welcome back, one and all, to the episode 175 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we we uh, we were going to wait until the uh, national championship game was over, but it's basically over. Uh, 59-7 <laughs> to seven as we begin to record at about 10.30 Eastern time. Uh, during the national championship game, it's uh, one of the most embarrassing displays of a national championship game I can remember. I mean, that Nebraska one, right, against Florida or back in like 95. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the only other one I can Were remember. Were you even born this, back then? Yeah, I know, right? That um, was this brutal, man. Like, this is. Bad. This is bad. Yeah, this is the biggest beatdown of the playoff era. We're going to have one more year of this 14 playoff, and then I think, then what, we go to 12 in 2024? Yeah, and I mean, that's the hard part with this whole situation is you get... Will that kind of um, weed out games like this? I don't know because that's you That's the could, hope, right? You can get a team that catches fire, right? And then... Yeah, I mean, Michigan's I kicking themselves. I know Ohio State's kicking themselves. Um they would have got to face this TCU team. Michigan had a chance, got down early against TCU, and, and couldn't come all the way back. Um, even though it seemed like if that game went on much longer, they would have. Um, but, yeah, it's, this is the way it shook out. This is why people wanted Alabama in the Final Four and not TCU um, after they lost to Kansas State. It, so. It's also disappointing, too, because they're both – National semifinals were actually enjoyable games. They were great games, and uh, you know, even though I didn't get the result I desired, but it's it also is funny that Alabama played K State in their bowl game, sent all their all their guys played, even the guys that are going into the draft, and they thoroughly waxed K State. So yeah, you and, and an idea I, how that game, you know, maybe should have gone. And I was right. I remember now. Uh, it was the 96 Fiesta Bowl. Nebraska beat Florida 62-24. So, actually, so this, this is might, even worse. Yeah, this might be worse because, yeah. Some people were betting on uh, on uh, TC, TCU to cover. They were, what, 12.5-point underdogs? It moved so from 14.5 to 12.5, I believe. Whew. Yeah. Either so way, you would have been A lot of people lost of... a lot of money. Yep, and this is why I don't really gamble. <laughs> I wouldn't have I would have taken the over in this game. I don't know what it was at when it got all said and done. I'm guessing in the in the high 50s. Um but I wouldn't I wouldn't have expected You wouldn't have thought Georgia would cover the whole thing. Right, right exactly. Like <laughs> like this is legitimately embarrassing. But that's not what we're here to talk about tonight, although we will talk about the playoffs just a little bit. And we're going to talk about this game in more detail, the players from this game on Patreon this week. So Yeah, unfortunately, two yeah. bucks a month, you'll get to listen to that show and every other show we've ever recorded. Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be dominated by one side of the coin, but it does give us some questions about guys on TCU that we had, you know, maybe as first rounders heading into the night. Um, but for this one, we start out with, well, the Chicago Bears are on the clock officially. Is this, uh, I mean, one, this is a surprise, right? Houston's, uh, Houston snatched, uh, what, defeat from the jaws of victory, I guess, depending on how you <laughs> look at it. I mean, they, they, they converted a fourth and 20 touchdown. 
and gave away the number one overall pick to the Bears yesterday, who sat Justin Fields fully, I guess, prepared to try and do their part of the tanking and secure that number two pick. But they end up with number one. And so first, let's get this hot take out of the way. Okay. I'm going to tell you what the Bears are not going to do. They're not going to use this pick to take Bryce Young, okay? But there are takes like this flying around, and uh, this was actually five days ago before they locked it up. A a tweeter named RP tweeted at Connor Allen NFL, convinced me they shouldn't take Bryce Young, number one, trade fields for a second, top 10 pick, and more and restart the rookie quarterback contract cycle. And Connor Allen replied, this is ideal, but these types of trades aren't always easy to pull off and get the desired return. Not to mention, the roster still needs a ton of work. He's correct. These types of deals aren't easy to pull off and get the desired return. I don't know what makes you think you can draft a quarterback number one and then you're still going to get a first-round pick for fields at that point when you've declared that you're just um, out on him. And um, the one thing I, I, I thought was the hot take part besides RP's tweet was Connor saying, this is ideal. Why is this ideal for the Bears to take a quarterback, Bryce Young, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, when they have uh, Justin Fields, who's you know just a few months older than Levis and going into his now third season, where after which you know we start to see some improvement from him this year. I know we still want to see more out of the passing on the passing side of things, but they, I think they use that number one pick, Seth. I think they're going to trade back and uh, for a team who does want a quarterback and then use that pick to get some of those assets, which uh, Connor Allen alluded to there in his tweet. So they need to help Fields. They spent a year structuring an offense that can work with him at quarterback. I see no reason to blow that up in the second year of this coaching staff and uh, GM pairing. Well, and I, the only thing that I am trying to make out of this, trying to make sense of this, is the idea of resetting the rookie contract, quarter the quarterback contract, which because Phils is entering his third year, I, I if I remember correctly. Correct. So that means he has two years plus you know the option if they exercise it, right? So yeah, so they're basically saying because most quarterbacks get paid their after their third season if they are you know franchise quarterbacks in in one way or the other that that this now gives you three additional years but i think there's a twofold problem with that idea one being as you stated what the bears have in place there now is justin fields centric so you're basically all of a sudden going away from fields, even though that's how you've kind of built this team or built around this team, you know, with, with Matt Eberflus, with, with Luke Getze, you know, and and that's what Ryan Poles has kind of done so far. So that's, that's my first thing. I get the point of like, Oh, let's reset the clock two years, but basically now you're, you're having to reset everything for two years. Um, and and so now it's like, okay, do we change our offense? Because it is very Justin Fields-centric. And then the other thing is this. 
and this is always, you know, kind of my takeaway with these things. Um, is it Justin Fields' fault that his best receiving options, Cole Komet, who's a very good player, I don't mean that in a negative way, but is Cole Komet, is it Justin Fields' fault that Ryan Poles and company decided to trade the 32nd pick in the draft for Chase Claypool? Like, and so so you're saying, hey, let's give this this management team more assets to use and it, because they can't do enough to surround Justin Fields but you know what they will do they'll they'll do enough to surround Bryce Young like that doesn't even make sense like Bryce Young outside of this season has played with you know a bunch of first round wide receiver talent um had a bunch of first round offensive line talent and really good running backs and now all of a sudden you're going to you're going to put him in a system where they have very little talent on the offensive line and little to no receiving talent and and then expect the same group to like fix everything like I don't know man I think people like to play Madden and they just think it all works the same way right like like oh it's not you know it it won't cost Ryan Poles his job. It won't cost Matt Eberflus their his job if if they trade for Bryce Young. And like you said, not needless to say, even if they could get a top ten pick for Justin Fields, like it the reality is it it is tanking his value because you're basically saying, oh well, we we're not going to use him, but you guys can. Yeah, he's not good enough for us to build around, but he's, he's good enough for you to build around and give us a, another, you know, top 32 pick or whatever. doesn't make sense to me. The One only way, th- the only way it would make sense to me is if you were the Houston Texans or maybe even the Arizona Cardinals when you're bringing in brand new regimes and you're saying, okay, this isn't our guy. Like we're going to move on. But again, I don't even know if you're going to get fair, adequate value at that point. Right. And you're talking about, um, there's a legitimate question of is anyone in this class as good as Justin Fields? I saw Ben Albright tweet in a reply that Fields would be the fourth quarterback in this class. I don't really agree with that. Um, we talked about, and we will talk more about the quarterbacks in this class, but I think Fields was a better prospect than his, um, than the guy who followed him at Ohio State, CJ Stroud, who I think is a good prospect. I, I think Fields is a better prospect than Levis. Like I said, he's already two years into his career. And um, about the same age as Levis. And I think he's got more upside than Bryce Young, who might be a better passer right now. Um, but he doesn't have the athleticism. He's not going to give you the running ability. And the Bears set a franchise record for rushing yards. So I think you keep building around fields and you trade back uh, to a team that maybe wants to hop in front of the Texans or maybe the Texans, who could have had that pick, must get back to number one if they don't want somebody to jump in front of them so and they've got a lot of picks from that trade uh, that Deshaun Watson trade they made with Cleveland last year so um, Bears have the first pick I think they're going to trade it that's where the money is going to be on in the gambling odds we got that email earlier today we all got that but um, if they keep the pick I think they go with defense and I think they would take Will Anderson but I don't think that's going to happen I think somebody's going to come up there and try and get Bryce Young in front of the Texans or the Texans you know, go up there and, and do it themselves. 
before we get to the next subject, it's really interesting. I've, I've because as a Cardinals fan, even before any news today, you, you're sitting there looking, and they were picking fourth um, going into the weekend. And you're sitting there looking and going, "Okay, the Texans are probably going to take a quarterback, right? Right? Like that's what you're kind of hoping." And so then the question became, "What were the what were the Bears going to do?" And I spent a lot of time. I've spent a lot of time reading about the prospects for the Bears. And I'm not saying this is going to happen. I am with you. I really do think they just trade out of that spot. But the amount of Bears fans that want Jalen Carter is really, (laughs) really baffling to me. It's really every team up top. If you look at their, their fans of every team up top, they're talking about Jalen Carter and we'll get more into him. I'm sure as we go on, but, um, and we'll talk about him this week on Patreon. But, uh, yeah, if you look at Detroit fans, if you look at, uh, I think some of your Arizona Cardinal brethren, a lot of people want Jalen Carter up top. Yeah. And so that's just a, it's a really weird phenomenon because we talked about it a while ago, just about the idea, like defensive tackles don't get picked first overall. Like, realistically, they really don't even get picked second overall. I mean, like, Indomitian Sued was second, second overall, overall. Think, but that was – like, he had a huge, huge – he was a Heisman finalist. I was going to say, didn't he – yeah, he was, like, number two in the Heisman or number yeah, three way in the more Heisman. Pro, way, way more impact um, plays by the line of scrimmage than Carter in terms of tackles for loss and sacks. Um, way back – you have to go way back to the Bengals taking Big Daddy Wilkinson, number one overall. Yeah, um, I'm and, not sure there was anything in between. No, and that's I mean, I'm just kind of rolling through it. it like, you know, Ch- it's usually quarterback or edge rusher. Like every you know, Quentin Williams went three and there was a big debate. And Quentin Williams, you know, has finally kind of mm-hmm. developed into a nice player. This he, mm-hmm. he broke out this year with uh, you know, twelve sacks after having fifteen sacks his first three seasons combined yeah he's in a um, good situation now you know and and so that's you know so that's really nice but he's not anywhere close to what nick bosa is as a we're talking about a guy that's going to be you know the defensive player of the year in 2022 or the um, runner-up some debate i think bosa will get it oh but. between him and parsons yeah but Parsons know, kind of cooled, I think. I was going to say that last. I mean, even but you go back and and we're not comparing them as prospects. We're just kind of letting you know, like Solomon Thomas was drafted third overall in, in 2017. Um, you know, DeForest Buckner, but he was kind of an edge guy too, more than just. So a was straight. Thomas. I mean, they were projecting Thomas to move outside to edge. So yeah, and then uh, I'm trying. I'm just kind of going through it, like Leonard Williams, maybe. He was up there. Obvious, and he was sixth. Like, so that's, you know, you kind of look at it. It's just odd every year. And I still blame JJ Watt and Aaron Donald, right? For the whole thing. Cause everybody's like, oh, I got, we got to get one of those. It's like, okay, well, one, both those guys went outside of the top 10. And, and (laughs) two, um, none of the guys that we're mentioning are equivalent prospects athletes you know all of that um you know and and like we said Quentin Williams took to his fourth season to have a have a breakout as like a a, as that kind of guy so um 
next on the list we mentioned it briefly but you know kind of circle back uh the houston texans fired lovey smith i i doubt it had anything to do with it but <laughs> do you think <laughs> do you think them winning that game like no <laughs> yeah i didn't think so by if the way anything, i heard lovey smith's knowing that he was going to be fired and just right, giving it, his all for the for the last game it was his fu to the texans yeah and i mean it's they you know the way the way the circumstances around which Lovey got hired, I don't think it was ideal. Um, you know, I think he, he was, you know, he did he did okay with what he had. He didn't have anything. He expected to have Davis Mills be his starting quarterback, and um, it was that you know they traded Watson. It was a clear tear down before the rebuild. So um, everybody saw that coming, including Lovey. So maybe maybe that was his final fu. Um, so Lovey is gone, but Nick Casario is still there, which is a baffling situation. But the Jack Easterby guy is gone, so maybe Casario is going to be uh, freed up to to make some moves. Like like we said, he's got a ton of draft picks to work with. <clears throat> I imagine they have a lot of cap space too. Um, the Arizona Cardinals fired both Cliff Kingsbury and and sorry, they fired Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime stepped down i that's how we're supposed to put it being reported uh, for health reasons i think yeah um which is I think we have know, to leave it there yeah exactly because uh, we're not uh <laughs> <deep> pockets <laughs> no <laughs> but uh when we look at that you know you, you obviously that's one of the that's one of the situations um and then you go to indianapolis they could have a different coach other than Jeff Saturday. It seems like they will. They say not. Saturday's still in the running, so we'll we'll see. So you've got yeah. So yeah, <laughs> not running. I know that um, would not make Colts fans happy. And then Seattle via Denver. So we don't have to talk about Denver not you know having a new coach, and then Detroit via the Rams. Um, and then Las Vegas still has McDaniels because they're broke and can't fire him. Atlanta still has <laughs> Arthur Smith, and I think people are starting to wear thin on him. I don't know. And, they just beat the Buccaneers, though, handily <laughs> yesterday. And then and then we get to Carolina, who's you know kind of in a similar-ish situation with their coaches, Indy. Like people think it might be Steve Wilkes. But maybe it'll be Jim Harbaugh, but maybe it'll be, I mean, so it's kind of all over the place. Isn't right? it a similar situation to uh, Arizona where they, the defensive coordinator might get the job now? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe that's what happens. Um, I know, so, I know uh, Vance Joseph's not your top pick, to <laughs> say the least. No, so Chicago likely trading out. Houston, no, no known head coach. Arizona GM head coach opening, Indy head coach opening, uh, Carolina head coach opening. It's going to be really hard. And then you go down to 11, Tennessee, they've got a freaking GM opening. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the mock draft season, Is that a situation where Vrabel becomes kind of the de facto GM? GM, yeah. I, I was wondering that. You know, I, they think hire, that it, I think it will be. Um, because they still, even though they had a disappointing season, a lot of that had to do with quarterback injury. And um, I think that 
they still view him as a top tier coach and giving him some kind of concession like that, some, some, some additional authority over personnel is something I, I think because I think they see he is a person who other teams, college and pro, might try and pry away at some point. Right. So give him additional power, um, additional say in personnel and see how that works. Doesn't always work out great to do that uh, with the head coach, but we have seen it work with some of the best of the best. So it 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 brings up a couple things. One, the the mocking of quarterbacks and situations is all kind of up in the air at this point, right? Because between Houston, Arizona, Indy, uh, Carolina, and Tennessee, like there's a lot of answers that have to get there first before you're like, oh, they're definitely going to trade, like Indy, for instance, they're definitely going to trade everything to go up to number one and take Will Levis. Like, don't you want to find out who the coach is even first? Um, I get I get the sentiment behind it, but like, I don't know, it just feels like it's a really tough ask to be mocking things right now, doesn't it? Yeah, but um, I, I still think you can pretty safely mock one to Houston and just don't know which one. And um, I, I like the idea of mocking one to Detroit as well, because Jared Goff, we know they can't cut him this year because it's too big of a hit, but they have an out on Goff after next year. It might be a good situation for them to have a young player sitting behind Goff for a year, being brought along slowly on a team that's, kind of up and coming at this point and a team that has multiple first round picks. And then, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, everything shakes out because now you're, you're talking about, especially with, with GMs, you'd probably don't know exactly what philosophy you're going to be getting into with these things. So, Arizona, for instance, I mean, obviously, I everybody knows I follow Arizona. Um, but how do you mock? And while it's pretty safe to say Will Anderson is a easy mock there if he's available, if it's not Will Anderson, say the Bears stay at one and take Will Anderson, how do you mock Jalen Carter or – Pete Skoronsky or or Paris Johnson, like how do you mock any of those guys if you don't know like what philosophy, drafting philosophy you're looking at for? Well, you mock Jalen Carter there because they need to replace J.J. Watt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk real quick about a couple guys coming back to school. A little bit surprising. Um, Blake Corm, the running back from Michigan, it came to light today that he had a meniscus injury and had surgery to repair the meniscus. He's looking at a six-month recovery timetable. And I guess partially for that reason, and probably also for his uh, love of the team, he came. he's coming back to Michigan for another year. I, I guess he wants to go out. Instead of going into the draft banged up and not being able to test, Quorum is a guy who's expected to test very well at least especially with the 40 time. So I think he his thought process is come back another year and show that he's fully healthy 
and then go into the draft. So, what, do you think if he would have played and got hurt in the in the semifinal, he would have come back? That's a good question, but I, I, it's you know, it's impossible to say. I kind of think he wouldn't. I, I think I kind of think he would still have come back. I should say, um, but that's I'm just speculating based on the decision they made today because. Um, he had a great year. I'm not sure that he could have much more of a convincing year than he had this year. And that, course, that was kind of my thought. Like, yeah, we, and, and we've got about... another great back there, Edwards, yeah. who's going to be a true junior next year. So, but th- th- this is a team that runs the ball a ton. There's enough carries to go around for both guys. Um, the other semi-surprising one. And the more I've thought about it, it makes sense is Jared versus going back to Florida State. The reason I said now it makes sense to me is because you look at his production this year, and it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but we've talked about versus jump from uh, D2 school, was it? Uh, FCS. FCS school? Yeah. He came from uh, Albany. Albany, that's right. I don't know where Albany is comparatively, but it's in New know. York. No, <laughs> but, but yeah. So going from Albany to Florida State, nine sacks, seventeen tackles for loss. Like that's a good, impressive season. Yeah. Like now, Florida State seemingly, and we say seemingly because you never know, but seemingly looks like they're on the come up a little bit. So do you think that's part of it? I I personally would guess that he didn't get you know first round feedback from the advisory committee or from whoever advised him on this decision. And I think that's what what uh went into this. Now we, we talked to um our pal Kyle Posey who follows Florida State's program and he brought up a point about verse getting a lot of production from rushing inside and as a guy who's like 6'4", 245, that's not really something that's translatable. You want a guy like that coming off the edge. Uh, he's not like Miles Garrett size where you can kick him inside and he can really overpower NFL guards. That's not really uh, a sustainable approach. So that could be part of it as where his production came from. We saw uh, some production earlier in the year and maybe he cooled a little bit as the year went on. Um, the interesting thing that uh, Daniel Jeremiah said was in reference to Verse and Olu Fushanu, who uh, um, the tackle from Penn State who also returned, uh, Jeremiah expressed surprise that two top 15 players in this class were returning to school. And my thought on that was top 15 to who? Because I'm not sure either guy goes back if his camp is that confident that he's a top 15 player. Yeah. It's just an interesting, I mean, it really is an interesting situation. Like you said, he started off hot. He had, um, and then, and then he, but he finished the year hot. Like that's, that's the crazy thing. Like yeah, he, he finished the last five games. He had he played in the bowl half, game, played yeah, well, four and a half sacks, um, played in the cheese at bowl. Yeah. And and so and that was a that was an intriguing game. That was I mean, a good game, yeah. One of the better non-playoff games. So let's go to uh, speaking of the Bulls. Let's talk about bowl season winners. And I don't think 
anybody won as much as C.J. Stroud did. Yeah, and we're talking of, about winners from the teams that have been eliminated as of tonight. We'll talk about TCU and Georgia guys on later in the week. We were really hoping the game would have been better, so we had more, <laughs> more to discuss. But C.J. Stroud, I mean, people, and some of it hyperbole, let's be honest, but uh, I think it was Ben Fennel, maybe, um, he's a producer for NFL on CBS talked about what he saw from Stroud. Um, you know, looking at it from the perspective of that's the best he's ever played and may have people rethinking things. Here's the thing. Was it the best he's ever played? Probably. But it was also the most he's ever been asked to do. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, as, as a Buckeye alum, I've seen every snap CJ's ever taken, and going even back to the year where he only, uh, when Fields was there, where he didn't even attempt to pass, but he had a forty-one yard touchdown run, if you can imagine that. Um, but forty-one, forty-four, something like that. But he had a touched a long touchdown run. Um, I think this was by far his most convincing game. When you consider the opponent and the players on that opposing defense and how many of those guys are going to the NFL, he looked away. Uh, he, some of the throws he made were just phenomenal. You can think about that one where he was forced up in the pocket, still had a kind of a muddy pocket, and he was able to escape out to the outside, throw on the run, and, and throw for a touchdown pass in the red zone. That was a phenomenal throw, really eye-opener. And the thing is, if you watch – all of his collective tape, he made, he's made those throws before. He's made plays like that before. Um, this was a game where he put it all together in one night, in one package. Like this Georgia game could be his highlight reel. If you looked at all the other great throws that he, and, and great plays that he's made throughout his OSU career, the Georgia game kind of functions as a highlight reel. And um, this is a guy who took a lot of heat. He was 0-2 against Michigan as a starter. That's been a long time since a Buckeye quarterback had that kind of record against Michigan. And there were questions about how he would play in a big game against a legitimate defense because he did have a number of games like where he really picked on bat, on poor defenses. But I think it's a little reductive to say, you know, this game should change anybody's mind or, you know, he never stepped up in the big games. The, the only losses that he had were those Michigan games and the one – Oregon game when he was in his second career start and now you have this this uh, Georgia game so uh, I think he's this guy has had a really good career he's right there up uh, second all time I think in touchdown passes for Ohio State uh, career behind JT Barrett who played four years CJ's played two Um, this is a great game by him I, I really think it's it's good for him because you know, he, he's been my quarterback one throughout this whole season. And I think it's good for him that he kind of opened up eyes to people who hadn't seen him as much. Yeah. And Ben Fennell, uh, I found the tweet. He, he replied to somebody who said that it wasn't Ben's tweet itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because Ben has said since the beginning of the season that Stroud was also a quarterback one. So, you know, it's it's definitely interesting when you and look ben at watches, it. And Ben watches – I like that because he watches a lot of All-22, a lot more than I do. Yeah, and so 
So he's look, one guy I know has seen Stroud a ton. Yeah, and so when you look at it, you you get a guy that is probably the most ready quarterback within a system. And the reason I say that is I don't know, and he did play out of structure really well in this game. I don't think he's quite as good as, as that as Bryce Young is. No. But I don't think Bryce Young has shown an ability to continue to work in structure the way Stroud has for his career at, at Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, Young is just – he, he just kind of makes some of those plays where he's pulling a rabbit out of a hat. And that's not what you're going to get from C.J. Stroud. Um, but what you do want to see is, you know, you look at this Georgia game, can he do that consistently? And I think if you look at the bulk of his work, he did do that consistently. And some people, maybe even myself at points this season, graded him a little bit harshly. Um, you know, you want that internal clock to be sped up, but you saw in the Georgia game, it was looking pretty good. He had a good feel for the pocket. He doesn't take a lot of sacks. That's something we've talked about. Part of that is because he gets phenomenal protection. But in this game, he had a lot more pressure on him, and he was able to, to, to make plays. And we even saw him use his legs a little bit more toward the end of the year. Uh, to escape pressure. So I like the trajectory of CJ Stroud. He hasn't declared yet. Um, yeah, that not that kind of weird? I mean, it, uh, it's it all is, about a but foregone none of the Buckeyes claim. have. Yeah. Except um, for Ronnie Hickman and uh, might have been one other. But yeah, it, in, like the only thing we've heard that Cade Stover's going back and Mayan Williams is going back to school, maybe that's a harbinger of what's, you know, to come. But I, I do still think CJ has spoken like a player who's going to declare eventually we'll see within the next week or so brian branch linebacker from alabama was all over the field in their win over kansas state 12 tackles four tackles for loss a sack and an interception what a wrecking crew he was he uh he declared so he's heading to the draft so we at least know this um he's a guy that hasn't been on a ton of radars but that's just he i I shouldn't say that he's been on everybody's radar this year it was just always a question of was he going to come out or was he going back um you know and the crazy thing is while he's had a really really good year that game was like such an exclamation point on his season, he came into the into the game with ten tackles for loss, two sacks, and one interception, and he left with fourteen, three, and two. Like he basically put up a third of his numbers in that game. Um, and, and it's not a knock on him by any means. It's just it was like. The George Costanza, I'm leaving at the top situation, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, thank you guys. Good night. I'm out of here. Like, that was just, that was just, I mean, that was a hell of a show. Um, you look at it like before that, two tackles for loss were the most he's had in a game. 
I mean, even his tackles, 12 tackles in a and game was 11 the most, of those were solo tackles. Yeah, the most solo tackles he had before that was seven in a game. Yeah, he wasn't like, pile jumping. He was knocking dudes down. Here's, uh, here's the big question for him. What's, what is he going to play at the NFL level? So I'm trying to recall this off the top of my head, but I think he's around six foot 190 is where they yeah. list him at. So, I mean, because they use him as a box safety a lot. And they used him in the nickel a lot. So right. he, I don't, he's, uh, Steve Kime would love him, right? Right. <laughs> he's a yeah. positionless defender. But um, that's, uh, you know, that's a good question. I think. I think he's going to have a lot of value because people are going to see him as a versatile defender. And, you know, he's one of those guys people look for, like a Buda Baker or Tyron Matthew, who can, you can line up in a number of different spots and that, that are just going to become playmakers for you. And so, you know, I, I don't think you have to pigeonhole where you're going to play Brian Branch. We'll see how, how fast he runs. But, but uh, you know, these Bama DBs, especially a guy his size, is probably going to be in the 4-4s. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the question will be, because I don't think they really used him a lot. And, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they really used him a lot just playing single high Roman center field, you know. Um, but they used him a lot at nickel and uh, in the box. And so I think you're going to see him up close to the line of scrimmage, pressing guys, um, trying to make plays in the short, you know, in the short game, in the quick game. That's probably his strength. Let's see what his snaps by position were. It's nice to have that. As a, yeah, I mean, you look at it as a free safety total, he played, yeah, 25 snaps. Yeah, so, so that's really not. To your point, 569 snaps as a slot corner and then 136 as a box, you know, player. So and we're seeing estimated forty times of four four four. So right in that mid four four range, uh, I see him listed in weight anywhere from you know six foot one ninety five to six one one ninety. He's probably gonna be right around six foot one ninety five when draft time comes because you know these guys like to get rocked up and train hard going into the combine. So he's he's gonna have a good draft process. Um, I think and PFF has him going tenth overall to Philly. And I think I want to say Draft Network. Kyle Krabs has been on him a lot. Uh, he was one of the earlier guys. I, I I think I recall seeing on Brian Branch. I know it was one of the Draft Network guys. So hats off to those guys for recognizing a guy earlier than we did. But uh, Branch looks like an impact player, top ten. I don't know. I don't know if he gets drafted that high. People know how we are about safeties. Man, I, yeah, in the top 10, I want an outside corner if I'm taking a DB. But um, maybe we, maybe as time goes by, we're getting stubborn in our ways. Ronnie Bell, um, one of your favorite players in, in college football. <laughs> Michigan uh, wide receiver, yeah. Yeah, six catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown. His last two games, 11 receptions for 202 yards. And two touchdowns. Um, when you look at that, you know, before that, going into that game, he had 51 catches for about 775 yards and two touchdowns. Um, 
again, another guy, I mean, and he is a guy that needs to declare. He's in his fifth, he's a fifth year senior. Um, he's been at Michigan since 18. He's, you know, he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt that's, with, that's up- the big thing I was going to say. The big thing for me is, is Bronnie Bell coming back, having this year and having this closeout to the year coming off that injury in 2021, where he only played one game and he had one catch for 76 yards and a touchdown got hurt. And, and he seems to be all the way back healthy. When you look at the wide receiver class, there's not a dominant number one, something we'll talk about on Wednesday. Uh, there's not a guy that you're like, this is the number one guy with the bullet. And I don't even know if it's similar to last year where you had a choose your flavor type of guy between Garrett, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, both who had over 1,000 yards receiving as rookies. First, the first college teammates to do that as rookies in NFL history. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, like, I don't know if, you know, and obviously you had other guys, you know, Drake London went first. He he only put up 866 yards and four touchdowns on a team that I don't think knew how to throw a forward pass. <laughs> he um, had a great year. Yeah, and then Jamison Williams, you know, barely played. Yeah. Um, and then even Jahan Dotson, he he had he got stuck with uh, Riverboat Ron. Who, <laughs> by the way, how did Jahan Dotson lead everybody in in receiving touchdowns? Wow, I didn't. I didn't really. Seven receiving touchdowns. I mean, tied with Christian Watson, but seven receiving touchdowns for both those guys, like crazy. But yeah, I mean, it, when you look at that production i'm not saying we're not going to have that type of production from some guys but four guys over 800 yards five guys over 600 yards and eight guys over 500 yards on the on the season um the receiver talent that's coming out of college is phenomenal uh look at justin jefferson and how his first three years have gone jamar chase and how his first two years have gone you you might not have a top dog this year, but you do have Jordan Addison. You do have Jackson Smith and Jigba. You do have um, Quentin Johnston, who we'll talk more about on Thursday. And Ronnie Bell, who started this conversation rolling, he's not in the category of these guys. Ronnie Bell is going to be a mid to late round pick. And uh, he's, he's about six foot, 190 pounds, 195 pounds. And he's going to run in the, between four, four, five, four, five. So solid, but not spectacular. Um, So I think, yeah, you're talking about an older prospect, a guy who's been injured, but who is back from it and who had a strong finish to his career. Um, Don't think he's on the Senior Bowl roster yet, but he could wind up in one of these. He should wind up in one of these All-Star games, and and we'll see uh, how his draft season goes. But you couldn't ask for a better end to his career than what Ronnie Bell put up for Michigan. And, you know, I like I always like to see guys come back from those knee injuries. I have a soft spot, even if it's a Michigan guy. And actually, Ronnie Bell is going to the Senior Bowl. So that's great. That's good. Great, great for him. He's oh, gonna... that, that reminded me. I wanted to say one thing. Uh, Jared versus teammate. Uh, gosh, the uh, Babbitt, was that his name? You may know. Uh, Lavette? Fabian yeah, Lavette. Le- Fabian Lavette backed out of the senior bowl and is going back to school as well. So I wonder I wonder if that had something to do with it, maybe. He's still listed on their roster, but um yeah. 
That could so, have something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I think Jordan know. Travis is going back too, right? So maybe they're yeah, trying to run the, it back. I was gonna say getting the band back together yeah. this week. <laughs> but yeah, um, Ronnie Bell's on there, so he and he he will show out really well in those one on ones. He's quick like that, and um, you know, he made a phenomenal catch against TC or against uh, yeah TCU on. I mean, December with his thirty first, with his age and injury history, can you take him before day three? I think you can. We'll see. Yeah, see how he tests, and uh, but. This is a player, and I'm not comparing him to Terry McLaurin because he's not that type of athlete, but he's going to get the opportunity both in the senior bowl and at the combine to to work his way up. I think you could see him, somebody fall in love with him, and he you know, ends up in so, the so third I'm, round. Again, like we haven't deep dive this type of thing, but you're, you're thinking like a, a high-end number two type of wide receiver you could probably get for, to, out of to him. To me, I would take him. Middle of day three. No, no, I meant, me. I meant like a high-end wide receiver two type of at talent. Best, at best. Yeah, I mean, okay. I think more like a wide receiver three or four at the pro okay. level. But, um, you know, he's he's a guy, you know, obviously he got a lot of toughness. Um, and I just I, – I like seeing guys come back from injuries like that. Um, the one thing they're going to want to see is uh, kick – if he, can he kick a punt return? Does he add any value on special teams? He's had very limited use on special teams, but he has done some punt returns for Michigan with some success. So that could be something we see him get worked out at. Deuce Vaughn um, was the only redeeming thing about Kansas State's bowl game against Alabama, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, but, it was a tough game for them, but Deuce Vaughn, how can you not love this guy? What I mean, first let's talk about the game itself. Uh, twenty-two carries, hundred thirty-three yards, and that long touchdown run early in the game that that gave you an idea that maybe they'd be able to compete for a little bit. Last two seasons, man, it, it's just it's just baffling. Um, just under three thousand yards rushing, just under. Uh, four thousand yards from scrimmage and thirty-four touchdowns. Like the the knock on him is obviously he's five six one seventy five. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's but Kansas he's a state. Remind you of anyone? I know, right? This dude, <laughs> this dude is Darren Sproles comps. And I don't know through. if you, I yeah, and I just don't know if you can even get upset about it right no i mean how can you avoid it you're talking about a, a a tiny running back who is used as a workhorse in college and is not going to be a workhorse in the pros but because it gives you a lot of value because of his receiving ability his quickness he's a four he's going to be in the four four range four 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 five that type of speed and you saw the speed on that long touchdown run against a great uh, a very fast defense not a great defense necessarily by Bama standards, but a fast defense with a lot of good NFL type of players. And, you know, you look at Deuce, he's uh, he's done the kick return thing. I'd, I would have liked to have seen him punt return because that's obviously where, you know, one of the things that Sproles did that kind of made his name in the league. He did both, obviously. But, I mean, we're talking about it's really like we hate these comps because we're talking about a guy that's literally part of the all 2010 
like team. Like he's he's a borderline Hall of Famer based on his career, which is absurd for you know a five six hundred ninety pound uh, third down special teams back. But I mean, you're talking about a guy that had over just under five thousand yards receiving in his career um, in, in Sproles. And so that's, you know, that's what the comparison for Vaughn's going to be. Can he go earlier than than day three? I mean, obviously he can, but, like, d- does anybody take him earlier than day three, knowing that he's probably going to be limited to a third down special teams guy, especially early in his career? This is one of those um, situations where it's going to be in the eye of the beholder because if there's a team that – has a vision for Deuce Vaughn, then he's going to go a little earlier, maybe third like, round. Like what? What if Kansas City took him to replace Jarek McKinnon? That's a Kansas City is a very uh, fun landing spot for someone like him. You know, uh, if you think about, I know that it's different coaching staff now, but the way. He, he was used with Philadelphia. I feel like that's another fun spot to put him with a quarterback like Hertz. That's got a lot of mobility. What you if you put him in Chicago, if, anywhere where if, you have a quarterback who can really move. What about uh, teaming him with Sean Payton, wherever Payton ends up? Mm-hmm. Cause we yeah. saw, you know, Payton obviously give Darren Sproles a huge, huge boost to his career i mean you look at his numbers in only three years there he had almost 1100 rushing yards and um and over or just under 2000 receiving yards so like just under his career numbers for san diego and philly and 500 yards more than he had in philly and san diego as a as a receiver like they i mean sean payton would probably love a guy like deuce vaughn yeah, right. I mean, that's a great thought. Yeah, you know, I, I probably should have thought about that myself, but I hadn't. But, you know, we're seeing Sean Payton, his name's coming up with all these coaching vacancies that you ran down. If he ends up in one of his spots, it's almost like too perfect to link to, to Deuce Vaughn. I know with uh, Cleveland, they have a lot of small, fast guys, and that's something that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry have shown that they value. So that's another spot where they might like his skill set, especially if he shows that he can return punts. Um, they had got Jakeem Grant, who got hurt, unfortunately. But they also had, um, I forget the kid's name from, uh, oh, Demetric Felton out of UCLA. And they brought in um, the guy from North Texas who played for, oh, shoot, what was it? Uh, play, play for the Buccaneers. Remember who I'm talking about? Darden. Jalen yeah. Darden. I'm getting old, guys. I guess sometimes think these these ones through. I have a I've seen a lot of players in my days, um, <laughs> but yeah, we, Deuce Vaughn, what a great game! I'm I'm uh, excited to see what he's got for us in the draft season. I was looking at another guy who compares to him, I think, and uh, recently, and that's uh, Tariq Cohen, who came out of the FCS ranks and unfortunately had his uh, career ended with with an injury. But he was a fourth-round pick as well. So I think you're probably right. We're looking at fourth round as the starting point for Deuce. If the Cardinals uh, sign Sean Payton, I'm going to call my shot now and uh, and say they take him with their, their third-round comp pick. There you go. <laughs> um, we got one more guy. That's um, Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes. 
an interesting situation here because I think Forbes declared when he was when he said he was going to play in the bowl game, he also declared for the draft at that point, if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, and and he's a guy you and I have talked about, yeah. uh, or I at least we've written about. Um, we both we've we've talked about him because we've talked about these Mississippi State corners, man. And like, wow. what is with? Isn't it weird how a school can like for a five or seven year period just kind of produce a position group and you're like it doesn't make any sense because like one mississippi state's defense is usually not good (laughs) right and then two you know but i think one of it is they they go up against some of the best receivers in in the country every every week playing you know in the sec and And look at practice they're they're practicing against a high power passing attack Right. And so, you know, we've we've talked about it. I, I like Forbes. I'm worried about his dude, he's thin. I mean, they yeah. list him at one eighty. I he, like you said, he's probably gonna bulk up to one eighty five, but one ninety maybe even, but like and he isn't he supposed to be like a four or five guy on top of that? Yeah, that's the thing. You're not gonna see the the uh four three speed out of these guys. But you look at Martin Emerson, who came out of Mississippi State last year and did not have the on-ball production in college that we saw Forbes have. And he was a 4-5 or five guy, and he's doing just fine. He's He was uh, probably Cleveland's best rookie this year and uh, certainly one of Andrew Berry's better picks since he's become the general manager. Uh, Emerson's been such a good player that I wouldn't be surprised to see him start outside with uh, – Denzel Ward, and they're going to have to figure out what to do with Greg Newsom, keep him in a, in the slot, or maybe try and trade him. But that's uh, Emerson's emergence was eye-opening, and I think Forbes is, is that kind of – he's not as big as Emerson, but he's that kind of player. He plays with a lot of physicality. He makes plays up near and behind the line of scrimmage. We saw had five tackles for loss as a sophomore. Uh, this year, six picks, was second in the nation in interceptions, 10 pass breakups. He returned three of those picks for touchdowns, and one of the funniest ones was against Kentucky and Will Levis when Levis tried to throw a quick screen, and Forbes just popped. Like It looked like almost like Forbes might have been coming on a blitz, and the ball landed you know, right in his lap, and easy pick six for that. But um, this is a player who scored six defensive touchdowns, in his career. I was really surprised he played in the bowl game. Good for him. He had a great game. Seven tackles and a pass breakup in the win against Illinois. Did they win? Yeah. <laughs> they won on a walk-off field goal. Very right. emotional for uh, their quarterback after, obviously, Mike yeah. Lynch's passing. So, Will Rogers was, was you know, in in – uh, you know, rightfully so, in in a weird spot there. Um, That's a guy you know, we'll talk about more next year too. He's gonna be a quarterback that people like. So this whole situation, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show with the Texans not having a head coach, but Casario is still there. Like you said, Easter Easter Bay is that who it is? Easter Bay, Easter Bay, 
Yeah, yeah. he's he's finally gone. So we like maybe, to get creative with pronunciations. Yeah, if you, if you get fired, I don't have to learn your name. That's the rules. <laughs> um, but the mock draft by Mike Renner at PFF, I think it just came out today, honestly. Uh, believe yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, today. Uh, Colts go with in, in a trade with the Bears, go, go up and get Bryce Young, which makes the Texans have to take – not a quarterback? No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Will Levi's, uh, <laughs> Levi's jeans. Uh, Levis isn't at all a bad consolation prize for the Texans. He's already shown he can operate an NFL offense with two different offense coordinators who have done the same in the league. Uh, Levis possesses elite physical tools with a laser of a right arm paired with exceptionally quick release. He's proven to be able to operate from tight pockets under pressure. He averaged 9.2 yards per attempt on 82 pass attempts under pressure in 2022. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is Andrew Luck, right? This is this is uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, like that. That he's that type of quarterback, right? I mean, so it 20, sounds like 2,400 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Um, you know, got got absolutely kind of destroyed in in a couple high profile games this year where you know his team needed him and he just didn't really come through. Especially the Tennessee game where we saw him go sixteen for twenty seven for ninety eight yards and and three interceptions. Um, I think it was the Florida game too where he had two critical fumbles including one at the very end of the game in the in the red zone. I believe that was the Florida game because uh, that was one of the early spotlight games of the season. And the big thing for me is he took a ton of sacks this year. He, he took a ton of sacks. You know, we've talked about the negative rushing yard thing, uh, negative 107 this year. Honestly, my – Biggest red flag wasn't even the Tennessee game. My biggest red flag with him was the Vanderbilt game. Um, it's it's tough to see a guy that's supposed to be a top two pick in in the draft um, get outplayed by a Vanderbilt quarterback. Um. Levis was 11 for 23 for 109 yards and an interception. And they they lost to Vanderbilt. I mean, Chris Rodriguez basically carried the offense that day, 18 carries, 162 yards, two touchdowns. I get that it was cold. I get all of that. Now, I, you know I what just, people are going to say, too? They're going to say he had – that uh, thumb injury that hampered him all season. That's what they're going to say. Because I think it was in the Mississippi State game, somewhere around there, where he got banged up and he, he had to miss a game in between. And I don't remember exactly when that, that game they missed was. Well, uh, but so, came, by this time, he had come back and already – he was in his third game back. Yeah, and, and he missed a game and then they played Tennessee and, and he looked bad. And that's what I said. The, the Tennessee game – I can wash my hands up. One, I think that was right when Tennessee got moved to number one overall. Uh, no, they were number three overall going to that game, and then I believe they got moved to number one after that game uh, before they played 
Georgia and got and and lost. But it the uh so I, I like I said, I can I can I can take that game. It is what and it is. And I should correct myself. It was the South Carolina game that he missed. So it was the old miss game where he the injury okay. occurred. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um I got my Mississippi and, schools crossed. And and that's the thing, is like, you know, I can I can accept that. But the game that game, man, that that's just a tough one to to look at and see them struggle that badly against Vanderbilt and him struggle that badly against Vanderbilt when you're when you're being talked about as a potential number one overall player. Um I just I don't know man. Like it's a weird it's a weird situation. Um it you know they obviously we're going to find out if we're right or wrong with this situation in a year or two. I so just, what, what do you, what about the supporting cast argument, right? He lost his best receiver to the draft. Okay. He but he did but, have uh, Rodriguez suspended early in the season. Uh, so what are you going to do? What, how are we going to counter that supporting cast argument? Well, I would counter it by saying it was a situation where you've had, other quarterbacks go through that. I mean, when we look at, when you look at like Justin Herbert's supporting cast coming out, I mean, were they, I mean, that that was part of the question about Herbert, right? Was why didn't he, why wasn't he able to elevate um, Oregon back into being Oregon again, right? They weren't, you know, I, I think they finished really well his senior year, but it was his junior year, yeah, with Cristobal where they, they really struggled, and that was Cristobal's first year. I mean, and that's that's just kind of – I always look at that like, <laughs> I think this guy's still actually playing at Oregon. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, he he is. That's funny. Uh, Johnny Johnson the third, uh, Jawan Johnson, Jalen Red, Jacob Breland, like these are – that's who – he was throwing to CJ Verdell is Verdell in the league. I don't even know. He was uh, undrafted last year. I think. Yeah. And so that's why I mean, like he's, he's raising the pro and, and that's the thing is like, I'm not saying, well, one, obviously Herbert was a better prospect coming out. And, and so like you look at it from that perspective, but wouldn't you expect him to put up similar numbers to like Herbert in that 2018 season where Herbert had a down year and he threw for 3,100 yards and 29 touchdowns and only eight interceptions throwing to, you know, Dylan Mitchell and Jalen Reed and Jacob Breland, like those guys. I, I, I just, that's what I struggle with. Like it's not, it's not like, every quarterback that comes out has great talent around them. Um, I wanted to ask you about this because you, as a guy who's coached, you would know better than I would, but what did, what do you make of Mike Renner's statement that uh, he's shown he can operate an NFL offense? Well, that one of the things that's what I was kind of looking at. So I don't, who's rich Scarangelo. Then he, he was, I think he coached for the Broncos. 
She's like quarterback coach, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was kind of looking at. So he's coached. Yeah, he was the quarterbacks coach for the 49ers. Okay. Uh, yeah, he offensive coordinator for a bad Broncos team in 2019. He's with Ooh. Philly. Yeah, I, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, he's worked his way up through the system. He was at NAU. I, I mean, does running a – he was at Wagner. I mean, like, does running that offense – I mean, let's be honest. He got the, his OC fired. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he, uh, <laughs> Scandarello. I think is how you pronounce his name. He was uh, hired in February and fired in November. Yeah, I mean, and so that's I don't I don't know, man. Like I'm not. I get it. Like you're always looking for something. This just gives me. Um, this gives me uh, vibes of of Zach Wilson, man. Like, and and to be fair, Zach Wilson put up way better numbers too, right? Yeah, against he wasn't playing in the SEC. I think that was one. That's, of, that's true too. But like, and, he and also, Zach Wilson, twenty twenty was such a weird year. Zach Wilson was just the right guy at the right time. He really was. Yeah, exactly. Like that was a. That's a great point. But like that's just I don't know, man. That's those are the vibes I get for for this. Like I just don't buy it as the, you know, as Levis being this guy. Like at some point I expect them to elevate like the the program and the guys around them. And and not that he didn't help Kentucky, uh but at the at the same time it's not like he was putting up, you know, it's not like this was can or this was Kansas, you know, or something like that. Like right. Stoops, I mean, you look at it, Stoops had him in a bowl game for five con- or four consecutive years. Well, five consecutive years before uh before Levis showed up. And they just happened to have their one of their better years with him at quarterback in twenty twenty one. But like his numbers in twenty twenty one weren't I mean, they were better than this year, but it wasn't like he was. And and so here's my other thing. When they talk about pro offenses, right? Like they operated a pro offense. You know, it's a big deal. If it's, if it's so, if it's so difficult, but so important, why, <laughs> why are these quarterbacks that are running these, um, air raid spread offenses able to adjust and and have success well i am why make it so hard on yourself to run a pro offense so so difficult on yourself that it gets the guy who's running it fired right and so that's i mean that's simplify man yeah i i just i have questions about him I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm already answering questions to Cardinals fans about, you know, well, Will Levis is, you know, worlds better than Kyler Murray. I'm like, okay, move on from Kyler Murray, man. Go get Will Levis. The quarterback wars are going to be fun. Um, We we were talking off the air earlier, and we noted that two of the, was it five playoff quarterbacks are actually younger than Will Levis? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's NFL Brock Purdy. 
I was going to say NFL, by the way, we're talking about NFL quarterbacks, not other quarterbacks in the college football playoffs. We're talking about NFL, NFL, NFL playoff quarterbacks are two of them are younger than Will Levis. And uh, as I noted earlier, Justin Fields, just a few, uh, three months older. And uh, yeah, so it's, we're going to have the quarterback worse all off season. So, uh, and also just on a side note, um, Mike also had Tanner McKee going at the end of that first round mock. So that's something we'll leave for another day. Um, hope everyone had a great Christmas. Happy new year. We're going to be back on a regular schedule now. Uh, so we had a nice break. Thanks for bearing with us. Uh, if you're a patron, uh, really appreciate it. And at least we were able to get you those bowl previews over there. Those are still up for anybody who joins at the $2 tier. That is the elite tier. And we also have a $4 tier for generational patrons. So, uh, And if you just want to listen to us on iTunes, that's great too. We appreciate all each and every one of you. So thanks so much. Hope you all had, had a, a great Christmas, like I said, and have a happy new year. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night. We need to do an outro at some point. That just something kind of what I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's two dollars a month for our bonus episodes. Four dollars a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right a, there. A read. Yeah, that's it. Right there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>